It is Thursday, February 11th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Draft Sharks Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And breaking our streak of mics for episode five of the What I Got Wrong series is Hayden Winks of NBC Sports Edge. Hayden, thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I've been enjoying all the shows you guys done over the week. There seems to be a, a little bit of a consensus on where we all screwed up. I hopefully have some, some new takes for you guys. Before we get to that, I- I'm sure it wasn't your campaign, but you're the rep that we have here. Do you have any idea how upsetting it is to us fantasy veterans to just yank the Roto World tablecloth away now? We have to figure out a new name for you. It is tough. This was not something that the writers necessarily wanted. Uh, I grew up reading Roto World. Um, I don't like the name change per se, but there's like reasons why we're doing it. Um, And ultimately, it will probably be a good thing for all there. Um, And really, truly, nothing is changing. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, there's been no change for the people that are writing there. There's going to be no change. I'll tell you, like our podcast names, a little bit different. Um, so like really, like the fundamentals of Roto World is going to remain just the the freaking name change. But we'll we'll all get over it together. Yeah, I don't I don't like the new name, but honestly, as like a consumer, I, I couldn't care less. You know, as, as long as the player tidbits or you know news bites are still up there, that's all I care about. Basically, I, I just think that like the corporate people wanted to get more into the betting space and like roto world is like dear to our hearts as like fantasy people but like i I do think there is some some merit to like wanting to like get a a wider name which which does suck for all of us but i do think ultimately (laughs) like five years like the marketing people would be like yeah that was probably a good decision I wonder how many fantasy people at this point even know what Roto means or if it's just something right. that grandfathered in people assume they know. I mean, it's totally a joke. That's why I said the tablecloth thing, because it's clear just by looking at the site that all the dishes are still in place. Even if you type in Roto World, it still gets you there. It says, welcome, grandpa, but it gets you to the right <laughs> place. So uh, it's clearly you guys are just you're Burma and you became Myanmar. So I I have to address it for the the other folks in my generation. On a more serious note, though, Hayden, I first encountered your work when you revealed the correlations that you found between college production, combine testing, and early fantasy success for NFL draft prospects. And it was not only excellent stuff. I mean, stuff that I found worthwhile. I found it so worthwhile that I started linking to it and applying it to my own pre-draft IDP content. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, I worked for the Chargers for one season in 2017. And then my first like full year at Roto World, I was a part time writer on the college football side. So I was doing like the draft libs and all that stuff. So I had all this time on my hands. So I like went through like, tried to find correlations for like offensive linemen, defensive players, kind of the things that kind of go overlooked. And now there's like all this content out there. But that was one of the pieces I just wanted to just these big correlation matrices, like where you can just like look at a color like, all right, this matters for this and then kind of some write up. So that was that was one of my big breaks um, early on when I had a bunch of time to just fully focus on the NFL draft. Now I'm, my bosses keep telling me, "All right, we're, it's time for for draft stuff." I'm like, I just like finished like the Super Bowl. Like I'm not prepared to do all this draft stuff. And two years ago is quite the opposite. So hey, time to change in. Hayden, wait till you have a kid. Then you're gonna you know find even even less time to do that type of I stuff. Know, I'm, I know. I'm finding that out over the past few months here. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I was talking with Josh Norris. I was like, yeah, he's like. Hayden, you took one day off this offseason before I started this offseason preview stuff. I was like, yeah, that's because I'm like putting in my work in now because I'm like three years from now when the kids are around <laughs> stuff, like I'm not, I'm going to be going the Andrew Luck route. I'm going to be out of here. So I got to put in some good work <laughs> for these next couple seasons. Just think if you'd stuck with the Chargers, you could probably be starting at safety right now. 
That's true. That is true. Of course, the primary reason we have you on here today is to look back on the 2020 fantasy season, see what we might learn from some key misses. So let's jump into that. And the first item on your discussion list is waiting on quarterbacks in general. Hayden, tell me about your approach in that area and what did not work for you in 2020. Yeah, so if I was looking at the historical data, and obviously this is a big JJ thing, and he broke this down perfectly in one of the previous episodes, but just like the drop-off between like QB4 to QB12 historically is very, very minimal. But I do think there's a couple things that are changing. One is we're getting more rushing quarterbacks where you have like the haves and the have-nots. You also have some of the offenses that are like beautifully schemed and then some that are not schemed well at all. I'm talking about the Giants. I just watched the Giants today. That was a miserable offense to watch. And then I think the other thing, this is kind of a bigger picture thing. That's not even just quarterbacks. I think we need to assume that our projections are better. We are way better as a community at making projections now than we were five, 10 years ago. So I don't think there's just going to be this like late round quarterback that's just sitting there waiting. Like, I think that the Lamar Jacksons, like we are still like getting into like, all right, rushing quarterbacks really matter. That's all figured out now. So like all these rushing quarterbacks, they're getting drafted where they should be. And I don't think that we're just going to be able to like rewind the clock where everybody's kind of like overlooking these dual threat quarterbacks. I think we're going to be way too sharp for that as a community, especially when we're talking about like these, like the underdog best ball tournaments, like that is a sharp mix of people. So maybe in like your traditional home league, you can still kind of get away with this. But I think that just as the industry as a whole, we're way too smart now. I don't think that we're just going to have this late round quarterback kind of sitting there waiting for us. So were you waiting on quarterbacks this past year? And I guess, how did it turn out for your team specifically? When I was looking at my underdog tournament and some of the other best ball tournaments, I got crushed. And the reason was I didn't have enough Josh Allen. I did not have enough Kyler Murray. And I was waiting for the guys like a Carson Wentz, Matthew Stafford. Those guys were miserable. But like also I was doing like three quarterback builds where I'd have like stooped down to like the Teddy Bridgewaters and stuff. And the ceiling just wasn't there and you really do need the dual threat or you need the Aaron Rodgers MVP like ceiling. And there's about 14 or so of those quarterbacks, I think going into next year. And I think uh, you guys made a good point, but the incoming quarterbacks, they all run. Like you're not going to have too many quarterbacks. that are just going to be standing in the pocket all game long. So I think that maybe in a couple of years, we'll get back to where you can kind of wait. But I think for this coming season, there's like eight to 10 quarterbacks, maybe 12 quarterbacks that are like, you can get like 25 points out of them and the rest of them are going to be sitting down that 18 point range and that seven point difference that matters a lot. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, you know, if we get to having 12 of those quarterbacks, then it's like, I don't know, can, can we wait again and just take the last one of that bunch? Yeah. I, I mentioned it on the show with JJ, there were nine quarterbacks this past season that averaged 25 plus points per game. They're, they're not all going to do it again, but you know, all those guys besides like Aaron Rodgers are still in their prime. So they, they all could do it again. And then you add in Trevor Lawrence, who, you know, I think has the upside to do it. Fields, Zach Wilson, you know, Trey Lance might have the highest ceiling of them all, but probably is the is the least pro ready. And not to get too far into the, the quarterback class. But you know, it, there's a chance that we have like 12 of those Uber quarterbacks this season. Yeah. And and I, I think I'm not going to be spending a second round pick on a quarterback this year. But I think that there is this kind of middle ground when we're looking at like these like low end RB2s and like your wide receiver threes. I think that's when you can start it becomes more palatable where you're not like over like the fifth round opportunity cost on a, a running back is, is pretty low. Um, I think the first three rounds I want to be reserved for my running backs, Travis Kelsey or my wide receivers. But like once you get into that fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round, I think that might be the sweet spot where I'm going to see who's going to be available then. So according to early ADP from fantasy mojo on FFPC best ball drafts, we've got six quarterbacks going by the end of round five, nine by the end of round six. It sounds like, 
you're saying that's that's kind of appropriate at this point. Yeah, I think so. I only like drafting like one or two running backs. And I think that's where a lot of like traditionally we've been drafting like a, another running back in that range. I don't want to be doing that. I kind of just want to put all my eggs in one basket at running back. And that's when I'll swoop in, lock in my quarterback. Like to me, when I was doing a couple of drafts with my friends, I I felt like I kept waiting and waiting and waiting for quarterbacks instead of like locking in somebody I know it can start every week. And I think that like if, if you think you're the smartest guy in the room, I think it's okay to like lock in that like, okay, I'm going to get 23, 24 points from this quarterback and then figure out if you think that you have more knowledge at running back and receiver, find the late round guys at those positions instead of quarterbacks. Cause I just don't think we're going to have too many late round quarterbacks out there, except like maybe like the Justin Herbert was like the late round quarterback, but he wasn't supposed to be starting. So maybe there's some edge in just drafting a rookie quarterback. That's not supposed to start like a Jalen hurts uh, from last year, even, but I just don't see like the next Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes like sitting in like the 13th round anymore. So next guy up on the list is actually a guy that we addressed with Mike Wright of fantasy footballers earlier today, Clyde Edwards E. Lair. Hayden, tell us about where you were on CEH at draft time and how it went for you. Yeah, I was drafting him a lot when he was like in that round three, round four kind of border because I didn't really think that the other running back was going to be like leading the the backfield in the early in the season. I thought that they spent a first round pick on Clyde Edwards Hilaire. He was going to be the guy from day one. We don't know if that was going to be the case or not, but I was a sucker for drafting Clyde Edwards Hilaire in like that top six, top seven range over some of the established running backs. And the reason why I had that is just the neutral pass rates in the goal line opportunity was like very clearly the potential to be there. But I think looking back, you're talking about a rookie running back who was more or less a one hit wonder in college. And yes, they drafted him in the first round, but it was like the last pick of the first round. So I don't really like using that narrative. And there's so much uncertainty around these rookies. And I think that passing up somebody that's already established, like a Derrick Henry, someone like that, was probably a bad decision. You're trying to chasing a ceiling. And like the difference between Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's ceiling and Derrick Henry's ceiling probably was the same. And you knew that Derrick Henry was going to get 300 touches. And you weren't completely confident that was going to be the case with CEH. So that was probably my biggest regret, just because you're passing up a sure thing for the potential to be a sure thing. And then everything went bad. He had the injuries. He was just not effective near the goal line. He wasn't playing as many third downs as I thought. And so kind of everything went worst case scenario. But I think that looking back, that was probably just a bad process decision too. Yeah, I, I still think if Andy Reid played fantasy football, maybe he does. And, you know, we got him in a draft in August. I, I think he would have told you that Clyde Edwards-Alaire should, should be a first-round pick. I think he disappointed based on the expectations they had for him when they made him a first-round pick. So, as we mentioned with Mike, I'll be curious to see where he goes in, in drafts this summer because I think, you know, he, he could be a value now after, you know, kind of disappointing at cost th- th- this past year. I think the one aspect that I overrated more in that situation than I probably realized, you know, looking back is him being a first round pick. And, you know, it it was the first first round running back ever for Andy Reid. And that was certainly the reason why he didn't seem out of place to have Clyde Edwards Eli projected where he was. But I kind of failed to look at where in round one it was, where the Chiefs were. I mean, they had this luxury pick at the end of round one. It's not like they took him in Leonard Fournette, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott range. So it was more like Sony Michelle with the Patriots a few years ago, where it was surprising to see this team that we think is a, a, a smartly run team take a running back late in round one when we all know that they're not the values in that range. The next time that something comes up like that, I need to take that in its full context, not just say mm-hmm. round one running back. Obviously, they love him. He's going to get the ball a lot right away, and it, it's a high floor. 
I think there's also something to CH wasn't like this locked in first rounder the the entire pre-draft process where he kind of like fell to the back end. Like he was more like on that like round two, round three border. Like, yes, like some people like were really advocating for his pass catching abilities. But I think when I was like setting over unders and stuff for for these draft prospects, he was like around like maybe like 48th overall, 50th overall, and not 31st, 32nd overall. So like on top of just like barely getting to the first round, he was like not supposed to even be in the first round in the first place too. So like when once you slap that label on him, when you didn't even think he was going to be there in the first place, now you're like really starting to play with fire. So I'm going to be wary, and I think I've done this more over the past couple of years, is just to be wary of players throughout draft season who make this dramatic rise up the board. Amir Abdullah is always the first player that I think of in this category where, you know, he's my guy this one year and he's in round six when I start drafting, but all of a sudden he he pops in the preseason. Now he's in round three, but I want him, so I'm going to chase him. Beware of players like that. Sometimes it'll still work out as long as you don't have to chase them too high. There are plenty of people who got Antonio Gibson fairly late in draft season and were not ultimately disappointed in what they got from him. But, you know, if you took Antonio Gibson in round three, chances are you took him ahead of somebody who delivered more fantasy points than what you got from Gibson. So it just that's just a general point to, I think, beware of. Totally agree. Next on the list, Rams tight end Tyler Higby slid a little in draft price as we moved th- from the spring to the summer last year, but he did remain in the top 12 in ADP, and he was a bust really no matter where you took him in starter range. Uh, Hayden, tell us about your 2020 experience with Higby. Not great. He was, I think, my third or fourth highest rostered tight end. Um, luckily, I, I was advocating for Travis Kelsey, but if I didn't get Travis Kelsey, I wasn't on Darren Waller. I wasn't on the Evan Ingram mix. I was waiting for this, like, Hayden Hurst, Tyler Higby range, and reality should have waited another tier and then grabbed like a TJ Hawkinson. But with Tyler Higby, there was a couple of things I thought. I thought he had a higher floor than most people were arguing. Yes, he was like that five game stretch where he had 100 yards, and that's why I was like very comfortable drafting. I was like, all right, if you if you average 100 yards for like five games in a row, that means you have a ceiling. And a lot of these tight ends we were drafting around this range don't have that elite ceiling that I thought Tyler Higby had. But I thought the floor was going to be a little bit safer just because the Rams were playing fast when they were playing behind. They were leading the league in neutral pass rate when they were in neutral situations or if they were trailing. So I thought that there was going to be more volume than what he had. But I think the my, my biggest regret with him is in August, we, we got more reporting that the Rams were going to be using two tight end sets. And earlier on, I wasn't really buying that because they just paid Tyler Higbee and Gerald Everett wasn't going to be under contract beyond this season. So I wasn't really buying that narrative. I thought that they showed their hand with the contracts, but the beat reporters were totally on this. They basically split Tyler Higby's snaps in half. And I still think that Tyler Higby's a decent, like he finished top 10 in yards per route run at tight end this year, but he just didn't get enough volume. Gerald Everett was playing more than I anticipated. Plus you had the Rams not passing as much as anticipated. Plus the Rams offense just in general wasn't nearly as good. So all of those things worked against Higby, but at the end of the day, the beat reporters were on this. They said that Gerald Everett was going to play a lot, and I wasn't listening. That's why I got burned. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the Rams really just didn't like Higby as much as a receiver as it, it looked like they did at the end of, of 2019. I mean, that's kind of tough for us to see because a two tight end alignment shouldn't really hurt a tight end that's staying on the field in that kind of alignment. Even if Gerald Everett's out there more, they're both out there. They should both be out there available for routes. You know, maybe they favor Gerald Everett as a receiver. All of this is why 
when Tyler Higby started out draft season as like, you know, tight end six, tight end seven, tight end eight, I was like, man, eh, that's a little too high for me. But once he got to tight end 10, tight end 11, it's like that the, the risk is kind of baked into him in, in that range. I think ultimately if you did draft him in that range, it didn't kill you unless the guy that went right after that, you know, drastically outperformed him. That's going to make it seem worse than it really was. Otherwise, I guess Tyler Higby is more a cautionary tale for me that you don't want to overrate the small sample, but you also don't want to throw it out completely because there are some guys who have that late season rise and then it does turn into bigger things the following season where things did change in the offense. It's not like it was just out of nowhere. The Rams did shift what they were doing late in 2019 that helped him get to that point. So I want to be wary that I don't overreact to what happened with Higby and maybe miss out on somebody else who is just kind of a late bloomer and then comes on the next year. Yeah, t- totally agree with all that said. It, it, the, sm- the small samples make the, this game so difficult. And <laughs> I was just so caught up in like all these tight ends around them have never shown this ceiling. Like Tyler Higby has like a tight end three overall ceiling in his range of outcomes. He showed it late in that last season. I was just so adamant like to chase that because nobody else offered that. And I, I was overlooking how bad the floor can pull out from underneath him. But I, I'm still I'm still so confused because the Rams have basically already announced that Gerald Everett's not going to be coming back next year. And Tyler Higby's still under contract, like paid pretty well. So this year we're going to be the same situation that I was in last off season where I thought Tyler Higby was the guy because of the contract stuff this year, it's going to be the same thing. Now they have Matthew Stafford. So I'm curious where Tyler Higby is going to end up being drafted because he was burnt everybody. And I'm probably going to be on this podcast next year talking about how I drafted Tyler Higby. <laughs> again and he burned me so we'll see how how that shakes out this offseason yeah but at least next year he'll be chris herndon as opposed to tyler higby because he's going like tight end 15 tight end 16 at this point because everybody who got burned is still treating those burns and doesn't want him right now so i mean is tyler higby a post-hype sleeper at the moment assuming that gerald everett is gone i think so i'm i'll I'll probably be writing him up i haven't looked at uh, adps yet for this upcoming season yet but tight end 15 tight end 16 sounds pretty appetizing to me so i'm gonna be the sucker again I will say that part of not being too heavily in on Tyler Higby last year was being totally in love with Blake Jarwin's fantasy profile. He obviously gave me a lot less than Tyler Higby even gave. I didn't get any week two Tyler Higby from Blake Jarwin before he went down. So I guess ultimately it's more of a bust than Tyler Higby was in that range. Yeah. I mean, looking back at it, there was a, I forget who did it. There was a chart like his win rates. I think it was Sam Hoppin and if you had Travis Kelsey and you had Darren Waller, like you won your league. If you had any other tight end, you didn't win your league. So like that's how that's how fragile the position was. And we just had these like outlier performances by those two guys. So hopefully it becomes a little bit flatter um, where it's not just so cut and dry. But yeah, Tyler Higby at tight end 15. You can already set me up for that. I don't know. Late round Logan Thomas and some best balls was, was nice too. True. That is true. Our last topic for today is unique to your list. It's one that's not necessarily going to apply directly to most of our listeners, but it can affect not only how we play, but I think potentially how we hand out advice to others. Hayden, I'm going to, I'm going to let you introduce this topic in your own words. Yeah. So like you said, this is for kind of us as analysts and then for readers as well, reading too much, writing too much early in the week, I think kind of backfires against you. Like I think we all end up getting trapped in like what had happened the previous week when we're not waiting for injuries to, to pile up. Like we, we just don't know all the injuries that are going to be happening that we know on Friday, but by the time Friday comes around, all our bosses want our stuff turned in already because no one's reading stuff on Saturday. So I think there's an edge to injury reports late in the week. I think there's also an edge to kind of like taking a little bit of time away from this last Sunday. So you're not like totally caught into this like recency bias 
And you also have some time to review some film, kind of read some other outlets and get like a bigger picture thing. And I think what happens is like on Monday and Tuesday, we're all so consumed with like getting the same information out as soon as possible, having our stuff ready for Wednesday. And I think that there's so much more information to be had. And I think that most of the stuff that's put out on the internet is being published on Wednesday or on Thursday. And I think there's still too much information that can be had. So I don't think that we should be getting take locked so early into the week. I like waiting for the injury report. So something I kind of did like later in the season is I was kind of being patient with like when I was going to start my writing. And that's a little bit difficult because my, my boss lets me post stuff on, on Friday, but I, I do think that we need to be cognizant of like, we're not just like pumping out everything on Tuesday and kind of just like letting things sit at that point. I think that we need to, as a community, as readers, be more aware of what's happening later in the week too. Yeah. I mean, when you're doing a content site, you have to get the rankings out early in the week because people want to know what they should do for waivers early in the week, which usually run by Wednesday night in most leagues. So obviously we have to get some stuff out early. I know that with the way our podcast schedule works, we do the weekly preview on Thursday. Then we do DFS shows on Friday. And definitely as I'm getting ready for those shows, I find myself changing my mind on some players versus where we rank them early in the week. And there are definitely players that we move throughout the week. So we always try to, you know, tell people, even if you've looked at the rankings already, make sure that you check throughout the week and even into the weekend, because there are going to be injury situations we watch. There are also just going to be things that we notice that there wasn't enough time Monday night to notice or Tuesday morning that we then notice Thursday or Friday, even if it's nothing that changed, but that's going to move guys up and down our rankings. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a similar issue in the off season too, where if you get too firmly planted on a particular player, you just, you're planting your flag there and you're sticking with it no matter what happens. It's a flexible sport. It's a a small, it's a small sample size sport. Things are changing all the time. And we also know that we're going to get things wrong. That's kind of the point of the series is we head into the season knowing what we're going to get wrong. So let's look back on what we did get wrong and try to figure out how we can get that part at least less wrong going forward or, you know, how to work around knowing that we're going to get some things wrong. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, like you mentioned, like going back to the Tyler Higby, I was so adamant that he was going to be the go-to tight end. And then I wasn't adjusting to the August beat reporters that are saying that, no, that's not going to be the case. And I was just too take locked into like my early season stuff that I was not going to be paying attention to, the August news. And like, that's kind of the same thing with the Friday. Like, even if it's just like, all right, I think his hamstring might be bothering him a little bit more than we kind of thought early in the season, like or early in the week, like that stuff ends up mattering a little bit. And I think that just ultimately maybe like a, a Friday column would be a, a good idea if just like, all right, this is the things kind of change the injury report. I think still kind of overlooked on how things matter for defensive players too. Yeah, well, thank you for bringing that perspective in. I think that's a good topic to talk about and kind of a good insight for people who are looking for advice from us during the week to know how our thought process goes. Even though we say something on Tuesday, might be saying the opposite thing by Friday. So uh, keep looking for for changing opinions throughout the week. This was just my spiel to like get more clicks on Saturday. This was just a big <laughs> marketing campaign. Uh, I, I did have one other thing that I didn't mention. Jared and I had this discussion early on the season talking just about like regression candidates. And I think that maybe we're looking too hard into like who's going to regress back to their mean and not fully like buying into players that are just like really good or really bad. And I had this model that I just compared like their production to how, how they were being utilized. And now I have a better, like better idea of like the ebbs and uh, flows of these players. Like, 
are they like consistently good and, or are they just getting lucky earlier on? And I think that just because like the models have come out these last couple of seasons, we're so we're just always looking for like regression candidates. But in the reality, like Stefan Diggs was a regression candidate. Like, no, he's just good. Like he's just going to be balling out no matter what. And I think that I need to be better personally about just realizing, all right, this guy's just not a regression candidate. He's AJ Brown. The guy's just a baller and just kind of throw out that he's like supposed to like come down three, four points the rest of the season, just being more cognizant, be, I think be more confident in your like player evaluations, which is could be tricky because I think that people get overconfident. But like when you're watching a player and you think he's really good or you think he's really bad and he's producing above or below expectations, that could be okay. Like players perform above expectations over years and years and years, looking like at Julio Jones. I wanted to be a little more cognizant going into the next year. Hey, a player's just good. And that's why he's beating these regression models. Yeah, I think it's definitely true that you know different players have different means. Yes, um, it's ju- it's just when do you know when can you be confident that you know that 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 this is AJ Brown's mean? Do we know that yet after two seasons, or do we have to see it one more season before we know that? So that I think that's the tricky part. But you're definitely right, Hayden. Um, we shouldn't be regressing every player to some you know league wide norm. Yep, I agree, and I think I think I'm okay with like having that baseline and like saying like okay, like Devonte Adams for example was like averaging like five uh, PPR points over expected. But that stayed true, like for a, basically the entire season. And looking back at last year, he was at like at like three points over expected. So I think you can look at have a, a regression model. Go find everyone has one of these like uh, fantasy projected fantasy points models. I, I do think that you can have a, a better idea of if they're doing if they're performing better or below or what their true mean is. The rookies makes it tough, like the AJ Brown. That makes it very tough. But I do think that there we should be a little more confident. I think that for like the last five years, people are like, your takes suck. You don't know how to evaluate players. Just look at the models. And I think that we probably went too far into that where we need to be like, all right, the models are helpful, but our player evaluations might be a little bit better than we think too. And kind of marrying those two back together a little bit and not just only focusing on the models. I think that's probably something that the entire industry, maybe the last year or two probably leaned on too much. Yeah, I think that you have to not treat anything as 100% here because there's absolutely no method that's going to be all right all the time. So if you're investing too heavily in any one direction, you're probably not doing it right. You need to reevaluate a little bit, I think. Well said. You can find him on Twitter at Hayden Wink, spelled exactly like it sounds, as though he's flirting with you. You can find him on NBC Sports Edge podcast and, of course, on NotRotoWorld.com. Hayden, I have no doubt that we're going to keep seeing more of you in the next few years because you're putting out some top-notch work. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. You can, of course, also find us on Twitter, at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShoutDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Hayden Winks, Jared Smola, and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm at Shout saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 